Life's Everyday Mystery Solved, The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Is there a benefit for taking vitamin D supplements uh, for COVID-19? What about zinc supplements? What is the latest on the vaccine story? And can face masks really protect us? All of that coming up. And uh, let me start out by asking you a question as I normally do. Gwyneth Paltrow's online sales empire, Goop, sells a jade egg for $92. For ease of use, unwaxed dental floss is recommended. What is the role of the dental floss? So what is the role of the dental floss to be used with Gwyneth Paltrow's online jade egg that you can buy for $92. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society with a mandate to separate sense from nonsense. And uh, when uh, I don't sit with you here on uh, Sunday afternoons, I do teach a variety of chemistry courses, mostly on drugs and food. And it is my belief that chemistry is the central science. Uh, It deals, of course, with the structure of molecules. And if you know something about molecular structure, you have a pretty good insight into what can and cannot happen in the world. All right, if you want to give a shot to that question and uh, then get ready for a subsequent question, you give us a call at 514-790-0800. You can, of course, also text your comments, messages to 514-800. And by no means are you restricted to uh, call in for the question. You can ask any science-related question that uh, uh, has come up in your life. But let me get started with Howard Hughes, of all people. Uh, Howard Hughes, of course, was a wealthy uh, businessman. Uh, He was an engineer. He became a pilot. He um, engineered the Spruce Goose, which was a giant airplane uh, with eight engines, eight propeller engines, uh, flew only once. He was also a major philanthropist and, of course, a very famous victim of obsessive-compulsive uh, disease. In, his, uh, in the latter part of his life, he essentially uh, quarantined himself. He was a tremendous germaphobe. Uh, he um, uh, basically led a, a life of a, of a monk. And uh, you know this very brilliant man who had contributed so much to world uh, basically had to retire. But anyway, talking about OCD is uh, another story for another time. But uh, uh, Howard Hughes started out as a film producer, and that's when he came across Jean Harlow, a young actress with ash blonde hair, and uh, he thought that she had the makings of a star. But he needed some way to promote her, And uh, he was thinking, you know, Mary Pickford had been uh, labeled as America's sweetheart, and she had done pretty well with that nickname. So Hughes wondered whether or not something akin to that could uh, be come up with for uh, his new discovery for Gene Harlow. So he put his uh, publicity people to work on this, and they did come up with something. They came up with the moniker Platinum Blonde. Uh, which eventually was also the title of one of the movies in which uh, the young actress uh, starred. 
platinum is a metal, and it derives its name from the Spanish platino for little silver. Why? Because it has such a you know a white luster, and of course it also has this aura of being expensive and of wealth because indeed it is very rare. So it seemed just the right term for a potentially uh, twinkling star, which he thought that uh, young Jean Harlow would become. But there was just one problem. Although Harlow was blonde, she wasn't uniquely blonde. She wasn't platinum enough. So the hairdressers went to work, and after some experimentation, were able to rid her hair of all the natural melanin pigment. Melanin is the uh, pigment that results in any darkening of the hair color. So when you get rid of the pigment, that is when you bleach the hair, it results in this silvery white color. Well, now, with that having been achieved, the publicity team swung into action, offering a prize of $10,000 to any hairdresser who could match Harlow's shade. None could. And that was probably a good thing. Otherwise, many women would have suffered the same fate as Harlow, which was hair that would tend to fall out and a texture that was similar to that of hay. As was revealed decades later by her personal hairdresser, the sex bomb's famous platinum shade was achieved with a mix of hydrogen peroxide, sodium hypochlorite bleach, ammonia, and some uh, soap. Soap that they used apparently was Lux. Anyway, that mix may have done more than just slowly destroy her hair. It may even have affected her health. Jean Harlow has a tragic story. She died at the age of 26. She had suddenly become ill during the filming of Saratoga. That was the name of the, of the movie. Uh, she was taken to hospital, and three days later, she lapsed into a coma and died. The cause of death was determined to be kidney failure, which may have been the result of a number of illnesses from which the actress had suffered throughout her life. She had had multiple bouts of influenza, uh, she had scarlet fever when she was younger. She had a severe infection after uh, removal of her wisdom teeth. But there's also another theory, and that is that her frequent treatment for her hair may have contributed to her demise. Well, when you mix ammonia with, hydro, hydro, uh, with uh, Javex, that is hypochlorite bleach, there are some nasty compounds that conform. Chloramine, hydrazine, and hydrochloric acid are among them. Chronic inhalation of these and absorption through the scalp, which is also possible, may indeed put a burden on the kidneys, of course, because the kidneys are, are an organ to detoxify the bloodstream, right? The kidney filters out toxins uh, and eliminates them through the urine. Whether or not these chemicals contribute to Harlow's health problems, we will really never know. But we do know that mixing ammonia with bleach is a very bad idea. Uh, both of these can be found in separate cleaning agents and should never be mixed. Indeed, hypochlorite bleach should never be combined with anything. Mixing it with an acid, whether that's vinegar or rust remover, produces potentially lethal chlorine gas. And combining bleach with hydrogen peroxide yields oxygen gas, which is usually not a problem unless that combination is done in a closed container. And then the pressure can build up and cause the container to, to burst. Uh, 
While mixing hydrogen peroxide with other chemicals can cause problems for people, not so for the aptly named Bombardier Beetle, a little creature that can dispense chemical bombs to ward off its predators. When in danger of being attacked, they produce a smelly, burning hot toxic liquid that they can spray at the enemy in bursts from a turret-like appendage on their abdomen. And there's some very interesting chemistry going on here. In one compartment, the beetle stores a mix of hydrogen peroxide and another chem chemical called hydroquinone. Both of these uh, are metabolic products of, of the diet that the beetle eats. Uh, another vesicle contains enzymes, like catalases, and these can quickly break down the hydrogen peroxide into water and oxygen. When attacked, the abdominal contractions of the beetle mix the chemicals, and the oxygen produced converts the hydroquinone into toxic quinone. This reaction is highly exothermic, and any predator that gets sprayed with this hot mix learns to leave the bombardier beetle alone. The chemistry can even be life-saving for the beetle, even if a predator has not been deterred. Frogs have regurgitated beetles after swallowing them when the beetle let loose its chemical bombs inside of the frog's stomach. So now you know something about the relationship between Jean Harlow's hair and the bombardier beetles. All right, we're going to take a break. Check for traffic. You're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Well, several of you have texted in the correct answer to my question about the dental floss to be used in conjunction with the jade egg that Gwyneth Paltrow sells. And um, indeed, it is to make retrieval easier. From where? Well, from the vagina. Believe it or not, those jade eggs are sold uh, by Goop uh, with a claim that they can uh, somehow improve the musculature in that particular uh, area of, of the body. And uh, it's somewhat controversial. Uh, they were actually taken to court because of this. And uh, Gwyneth's company had to pay $145,000 in penalties for having made unsubstantiated claims. Well, they have kind of cut back on those claims. Now they have these vague claims about harnessing the power of energy, uh, crystal healing, and that uh, this can uh, improve your Kegel-like uh, uh, exercises. So you're supposed to insert this jade egg and then squeeze, and uh, this improves uh, musculature in that particular uh, area of the body. And the egg comes with a hole pre-drilled in it, through which you can put unwaxed uh, uh, dental floss. Uh, I'm, or is it waxed? I, I forget now whether, whether they say unwaxed or, or waxed. One would think waxed dental floss would be the, uh, the way to go. And uh, the idea then, of course, is that you can pull it out much more easily. Uh, she sure has become a snake oil sales person. Anyway, let me uh, give you another question to ponder over. What famous American statesman of the 18th century wrote a pamphlet on the passing of gas? So we're looking for the American statesman who wrote a 
pamphlet on passing gas back in the uh, 18th century. Vitamin D. We've spoken about this before, and uh, there have been some suggestions that uh, people who have adequate level, levels of uh, vitamin D in their blood are less likely to have severe complications of COVID-19. Now we have a very interesting study, the first clinical trial to support the use of vitamin D as a therapy for COVID-19. This comes to us from Spain, and it is an interesting study where they took 76 confirmed cases of COVID-19, and uh, they compared what would happen to them if they give them if they gave them supplements of uh, vitamin D. Uh, compared with 26 uh, control patients, matched in every area except that they did not have, uh, uh, except that they were not given the uh, the vitamin D. It turned out that the patients who were given the vitamin D had a far smaller risk of ending up in the ICU and eventually being ventilated than the ones who uh, were not given the vitamin D. So it's interesting. Uh, it's not a very large study, of course, because we're only talking about 76 cases. And the other uh, noteworthy uh, uh, thing about this study is that they used very large doses of vitamin D, much larger than one would uh, take when you're just taking the vitamin supplements. However, uh, it just uh, implies once more that it is a good thing to have adequate vitamin D in, in our body. And uh, vitamin D is available in pill form, uh, taking uh, you know anywhere from 400 to 1,000 IU of vitamin D on a daily basis is not a problem at all. And it might be sort of nutritional insurance, especially here in North America, where during the winter, because of the angle of the sun, uh, we don't get the uh, raised that would trigger the production of uh, vitamin D in the skin. So we're not looking here at anything earth-shattering, but this really is the first time that anyone has shown that intervening with vitamin D supplements does have an effect on um, COVID-19. The other uh, dietary supplement that may have an effect is zinc. And we've talked about this before. And once again, the theory here is quite sound <coughs> because we do know that zinc is part and parcel of the immune system. And uh, there have been studies that show that it interferes with the replication of uh, uh, viruses once viruses have invaded cells. Supplements of zinc uh, are available. Uh, very often it's zinc sulfate. And again, with small amounts, up to about 40 milligrams, there is no uh, real risk with, with taking these. However, uh, we do not yet have solid studies that show that intervening with zinc is beneficial. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence and uh, a lot of observational studies which um, demonstrate that people who have low blood levels of zinc are likely to have more severe cases of COVID-19 should the disease uh, strike. Uh, in North America, though, it is not very likely to have a zinc deficiency because most people here have a varied enough diet, and zinc is found in all kinds of, uh, of foods. Meat is a prime source, and uh, having uh, you know about four ounces of uh, meat uh, would satisfy your daily requirement of, uh, of zinc, which is it's about 10 milligrams. 
if you have about 10 milligrams of zinc a day, you will fulfill your needs. But zinc has to be consumed on a regular basis. It is not one of the nutrients that the body stores. So meat is, uh, is an example. Uh, fish also has, lobster has, uh, and uh, nuts will also have some, some zinc. This is uh, one nutrient that uh, is found more often in animal products than it is in um, vegetable uh, products. The single richest source of zinc that you may encounter are oysters. And uh, if you just eat three ounces of oysters, uh, you'll have about 600% of the daily value of, of, uh, of zinc. Uh, but obviously oysters do not make a very significant contribution to the diet of, of most people. Again, uh, people wonder whether or not uh, you know taking a small dietary supplement of, of zinc is worthwhile. We don't really have an answer uh, for that, except to say that you know there are these studies that have shown that people who are low in their blood levels of zinc uh, are more prone to having more severe cases of COVID. So taking a multivitamin supplement that includes a small amount of zinc uh, is kind of nutritional insurance. All right, we're going to check the news. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Well, we did have a correct answer texted in for my question about the 18th century American statesman who wrote a pamphlet on passing gas, and that, of course, was Benjamin Franklin. Uh, why did he do this? Because... He thought that there were various academic societies in Europe uh, that were publishing all kinds of uh, articles that he thought had no practical significance. So he uh, wrote this uh, uh, sort of a, a body article, uh, and uh, you know he suggested that research and practical reasoning be undertaken into methods of improving the odor of human flatulence. And then he went on to discuss different foods and how these affected the odor of flatulence. And uh, he suggested that there would be uh, uh, great wisdom in uh, trying to find some sort of remedy for the smell that is released uh, with uh, flatulence. And uh, he was, uh, you know, kind of uh, making fun of the fact that he thought that there were too many scientific articles that were published. Uh, that didn't have a practical significance. Okay, time for another question. And uh, we don't often ask mathematical questions, but maybe we should, so here is one. All right, listen to this. A worm climbs up a telephone pole six feet during the day and slides back five feet at night. How long will it take to climb to the top of a 30-foot pole? Okay, so you have a worm. Every day it climbs up six feet and slides back one foot. How long will it take to climb to the top of a 30-foot pole? Okay, you give us a call at 514-790-0800 if you know the answer to, to that. Okay, I had some interesting questions texted in. Uh, one about zinc and copper. Uh, wondering about whether or not you can take too much zinc and if it will interfere with the absorption of copper. This is actually the case. If you take a high amount of zinc, uh, you can impair the absorption of copper, and copper is also important in the body. 
but not at uh, the supplemental doses that are usually available. You'd have to be taking more than the 40 milligrams of day, which is usually the maximum supplement uh, dose. So I don't think that there there's a concern there. Uh, also, someone wanted to know whether or not garlic contains zinc. Uh, no, the amount of zinc that you would find in garlic is uh, insignificant. Then I had a question about clean coal, because uh, apparently Trump was again uh, talking about the importance of clean coal. What do we mean? Well, there's no such thing as clean coal. What they're really talking about is a process that makes the burning of coal more clean. When you burn coal, you produce a lot of gases. Uh, in addition to carbon dioxide, of course, which you produce any time that you burn fuel, uh, you also produce sulfur dioxide and, not, and uh, various nitrogen oxides. And these are, are a problem because they are implicated in acid rain. Uh, sulfur dioxide eventually leads to sulfuric acid in the air. Nitrogen oxides lead to nitric acid. So that's a real problem. Uh, also, when you burn coal, there are tiny particles that get into the air, like the, the fly ash, as they call it, and, and it, uh, that leads to air pollution. And air pollution is, uh, of course, linked to a variety of, uh, of diseases. So the question is, how do you burn coal more cleanly? There are some technologies that are available. Uh, there are electrostatic precipitators that will remove particulates. Uh, there are various chemical systems that remove sulfur dioxide, nitrogen oxides, but these are, are very uh, expensive and they are not widely used. But more importantly, there is no effective way of capturing carbon dioxide emissions uh, from a burning of, of, of coal. You can get rid of the sulfur dioxide and nitrogen oxides and, and the, the fly ash with some difficulty, but no, you can never make coal be completely clean. Uh, also, there was a question about um, Trump touting the fact that he has been nominated for the Nobel Prize. Uh, I've talked about this before. Anyone in theory can be nominated for the Nobel Prize. You can send a letter to the Nobel Committee nominating whoever you want for the Nobel Prize. But they're not going to pay any attention to that because that's not how the system works. The Nobel Committee actually solicits nominations from group of experts around the world. And that's how they eventually choose the uh, awardee. So uh, the fact that he's been nominated may be true. He, you know, he may have told Ivanka to write a letter to the Nobel Committee to nominate him for the Nobel Prize. Uh, but that doesn't mean that, that uh, he is being considered for the Nobel uh, Prize. So that that is just a lot of uh, bunk uh, out there. Okay, uh, something else that someone wanted to uh, know. Uh, or at least uh, answered, uh, someone said 24 days. No, that is not, not correct. Someone else said 30 days. That is also not correct. Okay, so again, a worm climbs up a telephone pole six feet during the day, slides back five feet at night. How long will it take to climb to the top of a 30-foot uh, pole? And uh, I think uh, maybe uh, Jason has an answer to that. Jason? I'm gonna say six. Well, you can six. say you can say it, but you'd be wrong. <laughs> that is six, five, or seven. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out. None of those is correct. None of those is correct. How could that be? 
Not, none of it's correct. The worm goes up six feet during the day and slides back five feet at night. We're so looking, how many days will it take to get to the top of a 30-foot pole? So every day he goes up five feet. And comes, and slides, no. He goes up six feet and slides back five feet. So every day he gains one foot. He goes up six feet and he goes back down one foot. No, so... it goes back five feet. <laughs> you kept switching it on us. No, a worm climbs up a telephone pole six feet during the day and slides back five feet at night, meaning that he gains one foot a day, right? Right. How long will it take to climb to the top of a 30-foot pole? Okay, so then it's uh, probably 29. No, it isn't. Or 31. No, and it isn't 31 either. All right, we'll go on and see if anyone else comes up with that uh, answer. But I think John has a question here. John? Yeah, it's 25 days, but I had a question on your, um, or a, a statement to make about that trial that you mentioned. Okay, hang on. That, yeah, you're right, it is 25 days, because of course, uh, uh, after 24 days, uh, he'll be at the at the 24-foot level, and the next day he goes up six feet, so that will give 30. And yeah, then he, he won't doesn't, wait to fall back He doesn't down. fall back, right. <laughs> very good. Okay, now what about the vitamin D study? So that trial really showed the need to do larger trials. Absolutely. I and, mean, it's a small-scale uh, trial. There have been, been any announced because yeah. I've seen, like, idiots claiming there's some kind of conspiracy that nobody's doing these trials. This is not true. There are a number of trials uh, that are underway now for vitamin D at different doses. Okay. Yeah. That's you can great. you can always check these. You can go to the U.S. Uh, government uh, website, uh, gov, uh, gov uh, dot com, and uh, they will list all the trials that are uh, underway, and uh, vitamin D is being widely studied. The trouble for me, really, the trouble with that vitamin D study was that they used grotesquely large doses of vitamin D. So we'll have to see whether or not the regular doses have any effect at all. Okay, so uh, I hope we've clarified that. We have to take a break. We'll check traffic. Uh, you're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Okay, let's uh, hit the lines. I think uh, Jean-Pierre, I think, has a question. Jean-Pierre? Uh, I'm a regular caller, I must say. Yes, sir. Hello? Yeah. So uh, last week I asked you a question about scotch tape. And the thing I was wondering about is that when you pull out scotch tape, you rip it with the teeth, but there's a section that stays in the air for, for many for years, and it never unsticks. It's, all, it's always good for sticking, the thing that is uh, in the air. Not the, thing, uh, not the part that is near the teeth, but the part that's still in the row, and then there's a part in the middle between the teeth and the row, which never dries up. It always stays... I'm not sure I follow follow what that is. You 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 take scotch tape and you rip it with your teeth. No, no, the the teeth. You know the little teeth. Oh, the, the little teeth the... on the dispenser. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. And I wonder why it never dries. Why it never dries? I mean, no, the... it's always when you use it, it's always ready to be stick be stuck. Well, why? I mean, this is, the scotch tape doesn't work on on moisture. It's. Uh... So the, there's, nothing, has, there's nothing to dry out. Uh, well, it, but it, it still sticks. 
in order to stick it has to have a little bit of water, I guess. No, it doesn't. It's a no. no it's it, it's an acrylic glue. It's an acrylic okay. glue. It, it it doesn't rely on water. Basic glue okay. relies on having to have moisture in the air, but Scotch tape doesn't. Well, maybe I was. No. Uh, yeah. Do you know why it's right. called Scotch tape, though? Because it's Scottish. The Scots were renowned for the, uh, I mean, um, economy. You know. Yes. So what's that got to do with the tape? Well, if you you can be economical with your tape by oh wait a minute I think the the first uh, tapes were just sticky on the side on the not on the full tape but just on the that's side. right that's right the first scotch tapes they weren't called scotch tape at the time were used uh, by uh, car producers to paint the cars okay. and to you know to mask uh, certain areas and mm-hmm. it didn't work so well because there wasn't enough glue on the tape okay. so they so they started calling it scotch tape because of the well, actually, I think supposed... in, uh, in domestic use in the in the house, bad that uh, there's just the sides are sticky and the center is not. You would uh, save money, no? Yes, yes. For most uses, it probably wouldn't matter. That that's right. Okay. So anyway, well, thanks. Okay. Uh, thanks for that. Thank you. Okay. I I said that I was going to make a comment about masks. I mean, obviously, we've talked about it before. Everyone's talking about masks. And uh, I yesterday in the Gazette, I wrote an article about um, a rather interesting possibility how masks may uh, help more than what, what we think. And I talked about variolation, which was a procedure that was used uh, before vaccination for smallpox. And long before um, Edward Jenner introduced the smallpox vaccine, uh, historically, going back to the ancient Chinese, uh, people would, uh, or physicians, would make a little incision in, in someone's arm and put in some pus from the postule of a smallpox patient because uh, they had learned that someone who had smallpox once would never catch this disease again. So they thought that maybe if they inoculated them with uh, the residue from a postule, they would be protected, and that was true. Uh, they would always use the postule for someone who had a very mild case of uh, of smallpox so that the recipient would not develop a full-blown case. And most of the time, that uh, indeed turned out to be uh, so. The idea was that exposure to a small amount of material would produce antibodies. Of course, they didn't know about antibodies. It worked. But that this would protect against full-blown disease. Well, now... We had an interesting article in the New England Journal of, uh, of Medicine, which you know is sort of the Bible of, uh, of medical journalism. And uh, the article talked about uh, the use of masks as sort of a day example of variolation, which was this procedure that I just uh, described. There's no question that masks, of course, will prevent uh, the passage of some droplets, I mean, obviously. And the argument here is that while they do not prevent the passage of all droplets that may be contaminated with the virus, uh, that is not such a bad thing. Because if you're exposed to a very small dose of the virus, uh, you'll be sort of variolated. Uh, That is, it will trigger some antibody production so that uh, uh, you have some sort of protection against a further exposure. And they actually cite a very interesting case in this paper um, about a cruise ship in which all of the passengers and all of the crew wore masks. Now, of course, there were some people who had been previously infected and he would pass on the disease, which, which they did. So there were some infections on this cruise ship. However, uh, 80% of the people who did get infected 
were asymptomatic. That is that they had, although they showed a, an infection as shown by a test, they had no symptoms, which means that they had a very, very mild case. They compare this to what happened on a cruise ship where there was no masking and only 20% of the infected people were asymptomatic. So the masks actually worked to cut down the severity of an infection. I'm not sure exactly, you know, how sound uh, this argument is, uh, but it certainly is interesting. So masks may be protective in, in, uh, in a fashion that we didn't even think of before. But obviously, masks do not protect you unless you are wearing them. And, uh, you know, we've seen opposition to the wearing of masks. In the U.S., you see uh, uh, people who are burning their masks. And, I mean, this is really quite incredible given the fact that uh, cases are spiking, uh, we have to do something about this. And uh, although uh, masks are not going to wipe out the disease, uh, I think we have plenty of evidence now to show that they can reduce the, uh, the severity. Uh, indoor exposure, of course, is the problem, and people don't tend to wear masks indoors. Uh, it is the, you know, the parties that people are having in bars, uh, these are the the real issue. Outside, it's not such a, a big concern, but there's no doubt that when we go into a store or a mall, uh, we should be wearing uh, uh, we should be wearing a mask. All right, uh, let me go to uh, Mary. Mary. Yes. Hi, Doctor Joe. Hi. I just want to know if there's any contaminants in hot water tanks that would make it dangerous to drink hot water directly from the tap. Not really. Uh, I mean, uh, unless uh, for some reason there's some very old uh, lead solder that was used in, in, you know, in connecting the water tank. But lead solder has now been illegal for years. Uh, so it's, it's very unlikely. But why, why do you ask? What's the uh, issue? No, it's just because uh, I don't like to drink uh, boiling the boiling in the kettle. Like it takes too long to 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 cool down to drink. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I just take the water from the tap. But then I started thinking maybe there's something in the hot water tank. Well, you would you would normally have a little bit more copper because uh, the piping is copper and hot water will leach out more copper, but not not significant enough to cause a concern. Okay, so, so no I don't danger think that then. Is an issue. Okay. Okay, thank you. All right. So we've answered some questions here today. We even dealt into the area of mathematics. And uh, we've used up our time. But uh, not to worry. Uh, we have some more time allotted to us next week. Uh, we'll answer some uh, more questions. And undoubtedly, there will be some more issues that come up, uh, especially given the fact that we will hear... I. I suspect some scientific arguments or pseudo-scientific arguments in the debate between Biden and Trump on, on Tuesday night. So I suspect I may have some things to say about that. Anyway, that is it. We have run out of time. We'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Josh Hortz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.